Hey guys, this is the Real Life Monopoly Podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partners and brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin Donis. We are real estate investors, and the point of our podcast is to help you reach your financial goals, which will allow you to have time to focus on your true passion so that you can live not only a happier, but more fulfilled life. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today we'll be having Bronson Hill. Bronson is the founder and CEO of Bronson Equity. He has raised over $15 million for real estate investment. He's also a general partner in over $60 million worth of real estate around the U.S. He is an authority on apartment investing and is continually putting out new content to help educate his investors and help them achieve financial freedom. Uh, Bronson was an amazing guest. We were really fortunate to have him. And uh, without further ado, let's get right to it. Thank you for tuning into the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. This is your co-host, Jeffrey Donis, alongside my partner and brothers, Kenneth and Kerwin Donis. Today on the show, we'll be having Bronson Hill. Bronson, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure. So, uh, yeah, basically, I am a real estate investor. I have about 800 multifamily units. Uh, I'm the CEO and managing partner of Bronson Equity. And so we basically help passive investors, busy professionals and business owners to gain passive income through investing in real estate and other assets. So um, that's a little bit about me. Do you mind giving the audience and us actually a background as to how you got into real estate and uh, why you chose to go into multifamily? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I started basically, um, I was kind of became an accidental landlord. So I had a property in another state where I was living for a job, ended up leaving and ended up uh, keeping the house and it ended up being a very good investment uh, for me. And so I just kind of, you know, rented out, got a few hundred dollars of cash flow every month. And uh, basically, I realized that, you know, this was actually a pretty, you know, decent deal. And I thought over time, I could do this and it would allow me to um, basically, you know, get more income and, and hopefully over time become more of a passive investor. And so a number of years ago, I started buying single family houses with a family member in a, another state. And uh, basically we did it. And then I, I, you know, I thought, hey, this is my goal is I want to get to, uh, you know, 30 houses. I was currently at the time working in uh, a corporate job making really good money. But I thought, hey, if I had 30 houses and I was getting, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars a month in actual cash flow or as far as income that I could potentially retire and just get this, you know, passive income. And then I had kind of a chance meeting with a relative that I just hadn't seen in a long time. And it's not he did multifamily investing. And he said, uh, you know, that sounds like a, an interesting idea, but he said, it sounds like a lot of work. You know, why don't you do multifamily? And he owns like 1400 units and he's uber wealthy. And I just thought, um, I don't know, you know, I'd love to, I don't have the money. And he said, well, you can raise the money. And he introduced me to some different resources, some books, some different, you know, events. I ended up starting a meetup, ended up uh, uh, joining up with a very successful syndicator who does a lot of large multifamily. And over a period of a couple of years, I was able to raise about $15 million personally for real estate. So now I'm a, uh, you know, co-GP or an owner in 60 million worth of real estate. And it's really changed my life as well as the lives of a lot of people. So that's really become one of my passions is helping professionals like, you know, like I was to basically get out of having to go to work. If they choose to go to work, then that's that's great. But basically be able to have the choice if they want to do that and basically be putting their money that they're making. A lot of people make a lot of money and they have a money problem and their money problem is not that they don't have money. They have too much money and the stock market feels risky and other investments, they're just not quite sure. But really, you know, getting into real estate without taking up more of your time. And so a lot of people are going to equate like I did that financial freedom through real estate is through single family, but it really happens through doing multifamily or other sorts of larger real estate investments. That's awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned that you're, uh, you pretty much got into it through a partner um, and he was the one that kind of opened your eyes to it. Do you mind going into your first deal and what the business plan was on that? 
Yeah, yeah. So I had, uh, this was several years ago, I basically had uh, decided to start a meetup. Um, I had been going to a meetup in Los Angeles, California. I actually live in the city of Pasadena. And so I approached the person who was leading the meetup, uh, the, the the general real estate meetup, and I said, hey, let's, let's start one on multifamily. I'll co-lead it and I'll basically do all the work, uh, but let's just start, start a meetup. And our first meeting, we had like 50 or 60 people there. And at that meeting, uh, you know, it's just interesting when you start producing content or you start doing events, people really look at you as a leader, even if you don't necessarily have experience. So like for you guys, you know, with your listeners and your friends, your audience, like you guys are leaders along the way. And I get, I don't know a lot about your experience, but it's just a great way to really have people perceive you as a person of value. And so that's kind of what, you know, why I was there again at my first meetup, first time leading, a guy approaches me and says, uh, hey, I'd, I'd do a deal with you. I'd invest with you. So I get coffee with them and I present just a sample deal. I say, this is what a deal would look like. And I said, how interesting would that be to you? And he said, well, I'd probably invest a hundred thousand into that. And so I said, oh, interesting. So then I had actually met another guy at the same meetup and I was basically able to just, you know, bring hands and join them together. And I was able, that was my first deal. So I was basically able to, you know, again, link money up with a deal and it was a good deal. So now uh, it's been several years, basically the, 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 we're about to sell the deal at, at about a 20 to 25% annual profit. And so it's really exciting how that deal's turned out. And that was, again, just kind of like the gateway drug for me to be like, oh, wow, this is really not that hard. You just get in, you just, you know, connect the money with the deals and it's, it's really not that hard. So, uh, you know, over time, I mean, a lot of people wonder, how do you get started? And I think really it comes down to trying to find a way to add value. So right now it's 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 difficult to find deals. So if you can find deals, that's probably the biggest need, at least right now. Uh, but there's also a lot of people that that are out there that you know have money and they don't know where to put it. And there's also a lot of value in, in doing that as well. So I always tell people if they're looking to get started or get involved is always try to find a way to add value. I mean, you can pay for really expensive, expensive mentorships and you can do programs and different things, but sometimes the best way is just simply to go to somebody who's successful, who you get value from and say, Hey, how can I add value to what you're doing? How can I uh, help you to get better? Or what's the biggest challenge in your business? And I promise you as, as somebody, you know, as a young person, if you're at anybody's asking that question to somebody who's a successful person, uh, you know, nobody else is asking them that question, you know, likely. So by asking them, Hey, what's the biggest challenge in your business? And then seeing if you can help solve that, it really sets you apart as being somebody that's different than just, Hey, mentor me or Hey, help me. It's like, no, I, I want to help you. And in the process of helping somebody who's really valuable, you're going to get so much value out of it. Well, one major thing that I see that whole back a lot of people from going into this space is the fear of raising capital, but it seems like you pretty much did it not, not easily, but it kind of came after you built some credibility through the content that you were producing. Do you mind going into the content exactly? What platforms was that through? Was that just a meetup or? Yeah. So to be honest, um, you know, for me, I, I basically joined up with another person who had a huge platform at 30, 40,000 contacts and really was doing a lot for people that are active investors. So people that are saying, hey, I wanna buy duplexes, I wanna syndicate deals myself, I wanna go after these big apartments, I wanna raise the money. And what I did is I approached him and said, well, what, what about all these people in here that are maybe looking for deals and aren't looking to actually be active but get a lot of value out of your stuff? And so, um, you know, I think, you know, your question really is, um, you know, basically what it, what is the best way to kind of to, to, to do that? What is the best way to provide? I, I, don't know, I guess I kind of missed your question. Maybe you can just repeat the last part of it again. Yeah. So pretty much what you, you mentioned that it was uh, when you start creating content and people see you as a leader in your space, um, you were doing that through right. your content. And when you were at the meetup, they kind of approached right. you that way. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so yeah, so you know, providing obviously a meetup, and, and I guess what I was going to say is that the syndicator that I was working with produces a ton of content all over social media, just all kinds of stuff, a lot of paid ads and different things. And then more recently, I started my own group, so I've actually got my experience. I'm bringing it to it now. But um, the biggest thing I think people can do when they're first starting out, uh, it's really simple. You just basically start a, uh, a MailChimp account or some sort of account. I mean, you can literally for free or for $10 a month, uh, you can put people on your list and then you can have automated emails go out if somebody add, is added to your list or you meet people at an event. But you just start telling your your story to friends and family because people know you as the guy that's in school or they know you as the guy who's the medical person. Or they know you as something totally different than real estate. So a lot of times people think, oh, I'm just going to just go and launch. I'm going to be this big, huge thing. Well, people don't really know you as a real estate person if you're just new to it. So the thing is right away is, is just to start telling your story because um, it allows you to kind of bring people along that journey with you. And they may not invest now, they may not invest in two years, but in five years, they might be like, hey, you know, tell me more about what you're doing there. You've been doing that for a while now. So I just think, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, now we, I do a lot more content where it's, you know, YouTube videos and preparing to start my own podcast. And just basically I have monthly events that I do have a couple of monthly events. Now we're virtual because we can't really meet in person in California. Unfortunately, we're hoping to get back to that. But uh, basically, you know, we, we just just trying to find a way to add value. And a lot of people are really looking for valuable content, looking for you know things that they can the questions that they're asking about real estate or investing or, you know, all sorts of different questions. You know, I think it's really important to look at that. Your story is really inspirational, and I'm sure a lot of our viewers will be able to relate to it. Um, and you did mention that you were working a corporate job, and then you um, went and started your own business. So I, if you could, could you kind of expand on that? What first, what fears or, or you know uh, obstacles, mental or external, did you have to overcome? And um, what was it like to transition from a safe salary job to starting your own business? And um, you can maybe tailor that towards why investing in real estate would appeal to somebody like a passive investor who is in a similar position you were in before starting uh, your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, that's a good question. There's kind of a couple questions there. Um, yeah, the first I think is it is very difficult to think about jumping into your own job or you know, creating your own business if you've never done it or if you have no family members that have done it. And in my family, like nobody's an entrepreneur. I don't think I have an extended relative. I mean, there's very few people. I think I've, you know, I've got that one cousin who's a real estate guy I haven't you know, been close with until recently, but like your parents, your, your sibling, all, they've all kind of thought I'm nuts. Like, what are you doing? You've got a great job. Why would you, why would you not do that? It's a great, especially these days with COVID and all this stuff. Why are you, you know, doing that? But um, I have a group of entrepreneur friends, a group that I'm a part of called EO, which is entrepreneurs organization and, you know, very successful group of guys. And there's six of us in the group. And I basically explain, Hey, this is, I'm hoping to be able to leave my job. This is, you know, what this looks like. And basically unanimously, they were all like, yeah, you should do this. You should really go after it. And, you know, if you, uh, you know, if you fail, then you fail, but you've gone after it. I have some savings as well. I've had some savings. So it's been, um, you know, I think if you can kind of calculate that, obviously, if you have like, you know, you're a, you're a parent and you have four kids and, you know, it's a little trickier or something like that. But if you have a situation where you have some savings or you have kind of a plan of, hey, this is how it's going to look. But I think it comes down to really um, some people do really well in that sink or swim type of moment. And it's really a, a way you can bet on yourself. Right. Like I've done that before where I when I first moved into a sales job, what kind of what I'd done previously. Uh, I went and took a lower salary so that I could basically go into sales and sell in, in the medical field, uh, sell medical devices and surgery. 
And my first year, it was, again, it was, it was substantially less. It was like, I went from making 45,000 to making a base of 33,000. This is years ago. It's over 10 years ago. But, uh, after the second year, I was actually up to about six figures in that new job. So sometimes it's, it's, again, if you look back at your experience, kind of how you're wired, not everybody's wired to be an entrepreneur. It's not something that, oh, this is great. I can, you know, sit on the beach and just travel all the time. It's like, no, you're going to be working probably harder than you were, you know, for someone else, but you'll be doing it on your own terms and in your own way. So I think that's the biggest thing. The other question you were asking about for passive investors. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, again, the most compelling thing about passive investing, uh, is just that, that, that you, you don't have to be busier to be able to scale up your investments. And I think a lot of people uh, equate, you know, Hey man, I just, I'm tired. They're, they're tired landlords. They've got one, two, three houses and they're getting the calls in the middle of the night. They're dealing with toilets, trash and tenants, and they don't want to deal with it. And, and that was, you know, kind of how I got too. So I sold off all my single family stuff. I'm just doing multifamily and, uh, it's really allowed me to, to do the things that I want to do. And so I think that everybody, especially who makes a good income, you know, I've had over a thousand individual calls with, uh, uh, passive investors over the last few years. And a common theme is that they're very busy and they're looking for ways to grow income without taking more time. And so that's a question, I guess, for a listener is if you're a passive investor or you're interested and in, you know, you're, you're very busy and working a lot, it's just, if you have to, if the thought of getting another house or duplex or multi-unit just sounds overwhelming, then maybe you should look at passive investing where you're able to vet a property and vet a deal and vet a sponsor, and then really be able to take it to uh, the next level. So I think that's something that I a piece of advice I would give. Yeah, I kind of want to touch on what you had said. Um, of course, coming from a place where you you were making six figures at a job, you know, you kind of took that first risk of uh, jumping from one job to another, but then you became very successful at that job. Um, but then, you know, you took the the risk into getting into entrepreneurship and investing in multifamily, uh, and a lot of people, you know, would have, would thought would have thought that you know you were crazy for doing so. They probably said you know you were crazy, but you mentioned that you su surrounded yourself with people that kind of um, encouraged you to take that risk and also uh, not necessarily promoted failure, but just kind of made it okay to. I guess kind of fail because really what we've learned is you know failure is not really failure unless you quit so it's just really a learning lesson but my question is how important is it to surround yourself with those kind of individual yeah so uh napoleon hill there's a great book called, called think and grow rich you guys read this book yeah. it talks about the con this book was written you know i think in the 30s or 40s you know 20 it's, it's been a long time probably about 100 years ago and uh, basically, this book was written, he talks about the concept of a mastermind that he studied over 500 really wealthy people. And he found that they all had people around them that were also very successful that they could go to with different ideas, concerns, problems. And I love that the Donis brothers have their own little mastermind all the time. They can do this just all the time, which is great. So, uh, But no, there's a quote by Jim Rohn that says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And just you can literally look at it down to like how much money do they make, how active are they physically, what are their habits, you know, how do they treat people around them, you know, what are their spiritual activity. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. It's not exact, but it's pretty close. And so, I've always thought if I want to get better, I've got to be in the room with people that are more successful, that are further along, that have done amazing things, and. I, I've, you know, sometimes I've had to pay to do, I've had to pay money and pay sometimes a lot of money to be a part of those uh, events or conversations or groups, but it's really allowed me to really take a lot of my skills and just ideas to the next level. And also the biggest thing, like I mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur group is to have people that when I made that transition, 
you know, I can basically go and say, Hey guys, this is where I'm at. And they're able to help support and encourage and say, Hey man, we're with you. And, and whatever, you know, is decided, at least you're, you're, you're in that together, which is really pretty neat. So I think the idea of being connected to other people and doing it together is just so, so vital. 100%. And to kind of go into your company now and what Bronson Equity is, do you mind touching into uh, what, what your company pretty much, uh, what, do you, what your foundation is and what you actually end up, or what you guys are actually doing right now? Yeah. So what we do, we do uh, multifamily syndication, which is basically we raise fifty to a hundred thousand dollars or more from uh, individual investors. We'll put uh, a number of investors into a deal, and we'll look for returns. You know, in the double digit. You know, usually ten to twenty percent per year returns. Some get paid along the way, and some get paid at the end when the property sells. And so basically we'll go in and we'll find properties and rehab them. And uh, basically there's a lot of tax benefits as well. But uh, again, it really allows for people to be passive uh, in those investments. So it's, it's an opportunity to partner with people that, you know, we, we have the experience and we have the uh, access to deals and the resources and the operations. And then other people, you know, they sometimes will go visit the property, but for the most part, it's pretty active. They'll hear about deals. And so we have our deals list that we do where people can join the Bronson Equity Deal Clubs, when we have a new deal, um, you know, people will say, hey, I want to invest or I have questions and then they'll get involved that way. So that's so that's it. And again, I think it's just so powerful because most people they use this term traditional investments. And the reason, you know, they call it traditional investments is because these multi-billion dollar firms basically pay billion, you know, so much money to educate people on finance and they're benefiting while they're doing it. So it's really the idea of investing in real estate and they call it real estate because it is actually real. It's not paper, right? It's something that actually exists. And if we get into inflation or other sorts of things happen, you actually own something physical. So um, I think it should be, you know, that that really should be the traditional investment. And I think most people have been educated and kind of brainwashed that, you know, the stock market or other ways are the ways you have to do it. I just think that there's so many other ways. And so, yeah, that's that's a bit of what the business looks like now. You, you touched on inflation. Um, do you mind going into what inflation hedging is and how real estate protects against it? Yeah. So it's interesting at the time we're recording this. Um, I, there's a chart. If you search uh, M1 and the word Fred, F-R-E-D, it's basically the Federal Reserve uh, charts that show up. So it's M1. It shows that basically in the last 12 to 14 months, we have basically taken the uh, the amount of physical currency and also what's in bank accounts. All these stimuluses have just added so much. And basically, it's about five times the amount of currency. So if you look at it, it's like however many trillions we had before, it's about five times. So what happens is in, in, in markets like this, it used to be the dollar was pegged to gold. So it was more of a claim check. So you had a dollar or a $20 bill could actually be exchanged for about 200 years. It could be exchanged for actually a physical uh, gold ounce. And it was just, there was no inflation. It was just kind of very much that's the way it was. But since we've come off the, the, the gold standard um, since uh, in the 30s, as well as the 70s, they just completely came off of it. It's just, it's a system called fiat, which means you know, there, you can print as many dollars as you want. And, you know, hyperinflation is an option, even if it's not hyperinflation in the US, it still means that over time, you know, the dollar has lost so much of its value. People that, you know, are older than you and I, you know, said, oh, back in the 60s, you know, it only cost me, you know, a dime for a hamburger or a nickel for a hamburger. Well, now it's like three, four bucks, right? For a hamburger, like it's not that the hamburger costs any more. It's just that the dollar has depreciated in value so much less. So if I had a gold coin right here, 
And I also do some precious metal investing. I encourage people to look at it. But if I had a gold coin, it would basically, you know, it used to cost 100 years ago, it was about a nice men's suit was about one gold coin. You could get a nice men's custom suit. And now at the time of this, it's about $1,700 for an ounce of gold, but it's it's about the same as a nice men's suit. So again, it has the price of gold or other things hasn't changed. It's just that because of inflation. So the inflation hedging property of particularly multifamily real estate, rents generally rise with inflation, not always right away, but over the long term they do. And so as more printing happens, if you own multifamily real estate, there's two advantages. One is that rents generally rise with inflation, but your debt, especially if you have long-term debt, it's in old dollars. So as you keep, let's say dollars are worth less in the future, well, basically you're able to pay down those debts much easier in the future as the property appreciates and uh, those debts become you know less valuable. So it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, some of the, the value of, of hedging against inflation. In looking at real estate from the limited partners perspective and specifically a syndication deal, why is it important for a limited limited partner's interest to be aligned with the general partner's yeah, so alignment is very important. Um, obviously, you know the the goals need to be the same. If you know, we'll have sometimes I'll have calls with investors, and they'll say I'm looking for a hundred percent return in one year, and I'm like, well, it's probably not a good fit because that's not what we do. You know, like I said, we do, you know, fifteen percent return is pretty good, and it usually happens as an average over five years. So it's not going to take six months or nine months before we even start having cash flow on a deal. So it's just again kind of talking about expectations and what people want. But as far as interest. Um, you know, some people say, uh, and I agree with this, that uh, sponsors should invest something in each deal so that there is this kind of skin in the game idea that, hey, you know, there's uh, alignment that, hey, if, if this deal does well, at least, you know, we're kind of all in this together. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of liquidity requirements for sponsors that do deals. So if I get a $10 million loan or my partners and I do, they'll have to look in our accounts and say, we need 10% of that amount somewhere in a bank account. So we got to have a million dollars between the two or three of us just kind of sitting there, not invested in anything. So sometimes we won't put as much in each deal because of some of those liquidity requirements. But in general, um, I would say, you know, having skin in the game is important. The other thing really is the, the most important thing that I see, at least as a sponsor, is is the idea of reputation and how people are treated. So again, um, you know, I, I want every single person or group that invests with me to have a great experience so that they'll invest in every deal we do. They'll tell all their friends. If somebody has a bad experience, it's just it's just bad for everybody. It's bad for, you know, so you want to make sure that those interests are aligned, that we have the same goals, the same expectations, the performances there, all that stuff. So there's been a lot of deals, you know, we've looked over and just said, you know, this deal just doesn't make sense or we can't really do it at this, at this you know, price or whatever. And so it just, again, it's really making sure that people have a good experience because, I, I'm really what we're really looking for is long-term partners. We're not looking for just hey, let's do a deal. It's like what is the deal we're going to do in five years from now? You know, it's really that kind of long-term approach. It's a passive investor. Um, when can they expect to get paid in? In what way? Multi what are the multiple ways in which they can get paid in a syndication deal? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, syndication, at least multifamily syndication, typically um, when passive investors invest to a value add deal, which means we're coming into a property and we're trying to generally raise rents uh, by doing renovations. Um, some people say, oh, it's a really bad thing. You're raising rents. It's like, no, as the units turn and as people move out, then we come in and we you know, put $5,000 or $10,000 into each unit. We'll see rents of $100, $150 a month. That increases the value of the property over time by millions of dollars. That's called forced appreciation. So we're not a 
assuming that all this external appreciation is going to happen just the market's going to improve we can see in the renovated units they're getting 150 dollars more per month versus not so that's really a lot of the plan of how we do this typically there's two numbers we look at one is called the cash on cash number that's basically the return that people get kind of as you go so if i invest 100,000 into a deal and if we say the cash on cash is seven percent then it's about seven thousand dollars per year that'll be paid out and that's kind of an as you go number it typically takes for our deals um, somewhere six to nine months if it's a more bigger value ideal can take longer but um, you know again we try to look at the total return number a lot of people are, are more concerned about that it's just hey what's the total return uh, we think you know about 15 percent is a pretty good number if you average that out so the goal is to about you know, close to double the money in five to seven years. Um, obviously, you know, everything's for sale. So if there's a chance to sell it sooner, and that's what happened on this first investment that we did several years ago, you know, an offer came, it was just a great offer. So we said, well, we're gonna look at this, and we're gonna sell it and we'll sell it a little early. So so basically, yeah, there's the cash flow that you get and There's uh, as you go along, then there's the big bump at the back end because of the property appreciation. And there's also some great tax benefits. So there's, there's the ability through, um, investing in these type of assets and I, I could you know get into detail more on a one-on-one -on -one basis but basically you get a lot of uh, tax write-offs or either uh, complete write-offs or deferrals so sometimes they're deferred when the property's sold or they're actually just total write-offs you don't have to pay back in the future so there's just again a lot of benefits to this type of asset which you know obviously makes me really excited to talk about I'm just curious, I mean, not necessarily in any of your deals, but have you ever heard of an instance where uh, a passive investor hasn't received um, a payment, a distribution, and if so, what happens then? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in these deals, basically, you know, it... it We'd like to make it as predictable as we can. It's typically, it's, you know, things, if anybody's ever owned a rental house, I don't know if you guys own any real estate, but it's things go better than expected, things go worse than, worse than expected in the same deal. So there's certain areas where things kind of move, especially when you have 200 units or 300 units in one place, so you're going to have some of that. So we've had, you know, we, most of ours have performed, you know, at as expected or better. We've had one deal that took you know, about a year or so longer to actually start producing cash flow. So it's something that we had some underperformance from a property manager. We still feel like the deal overall is going to perform just fine. It's going to perform about at projections, but uh, that's why some diversification is helpful too. So if somebody has, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to invest, maybe not put it in one deal, maybe put it in three or four deals. So that way you have some diversification because again, we've seen a range of, you know, some deals we've had have performed over 30% per year and some have performed, we've had one that's performed eight to 12% per year. So again, it's, there's kind of a range. And so, um, you know, if you, if you invest, you know, several different places, several different deals, um, tend, you tend to have some diversification there that allows you to kind of write out if you have a, do, a deal that doesn't perform as well. But I mean, eight to 12% on a low end is, is higher than the average in the stock market, which is typically, you know, six, 7% per year. So it's pretty nice. And earlier you touched on your reputation and how important that is. And we obviously know that that's something that's very important in this industry. Um, and I feel like a lot of that comes down to the, choosing the right deal to go after. That way you can make sure that you reach your investors' returns. Do you mind going into how you determine what deal to go after? Um, yeah, how do we determine? Well, we take the deals and we flip a coin. And, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> and we, we try to look really at... Um, you know, just a lot of the factors in the deal. So we do work with some operating partners. So we have, again, I'm, I've, my background is both on the operations side as well as raising capital. And so we'll kind of do both, but we do try to find good operating partners that uh, are very experienced, that have a good track record. We do background checks, you know, on them. We make sure that, you know, they're, they're really vetted as individuals. They have a solid track record. And then we try to look at the deal and say, you know, is this deal conservatively underwritten? And people talk about that word conservative all the time. Oh, it's conservative, it's conservative, conservative. And then 
But there's a couple things that I think that you can tell just kind of on the surface if it's conservative. And one has to do with the rent growth expectations. So in Dallas, for example, the last 10 years, rents have grown about 5% per year, which is just huge. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it's still growing that way fast. But to move forward, is it safe to assume that that's going to happen going forward? We would say probably not. We'd say it'd probably be more conservative to use like a two and a half or 3% rent growth assumption just to be more conservative. But again, those are huge levers that if you're assuming 5%, I mean, it could make a deal that's really like a 13% return, like a 20% or 20 plus percent return just by changing that one little number. So these are big levers. So some people get really, uh, you know, drawn to that sexy number of like, oh, this is a 21% average annual return, and then, but it's not conservative. So we'd rather, again, say 14 or 15% and, and perform at 18% rather than 21% and get coming down to 18. We want to make sure that we're under promise and over, over delivering. So, but I, I think that just in general, you know, who the, who the, who the group is, who the partners are, who we're working with on the property, the property manager, what, what could go wrong in the deal? What are the, um, just, you know, what, what has been the problem? If somebody had problems there before, why do they have problems? Why do we think we can turn it around? And, uh, you know, I think, I think all of those are things we, we had uh, a property we've worked on. One of our partners worked on recently and bought it at like 60% occupancy because the owner was a, basically a corporate owner. They were never in the office. And so to rent, they just could, they just weren't renting out the units. Right. And so what they did is they just came in and brought in a great property manager. There's somebody in the office all the time and it's gone up to 85% just within six months. So when you do that, you've increased the rent now, uh, just, you know, you've increased the total income for that property. It's gone from like a five and a half million dollar property now to a seven and a half million dollar property just simply by leasing it up. So that's just, that's a very easy value add where you come in and you can say, hey, we can do these simple things. So just put somebody in the office and help them to, to move up. So we look for those type of situations that we feel like we can really easily add that value. And um, so to go into the stage and phase into our show, um, we'll do an express round. We'll ask you a couple of questions. Um, it's at a pretty quick pace, so I'll just give you some time to answer, and then I'll move on to the next one. Are you ready? Okay. Let me take a, take a breath here. Okay, I think awesome. I'm ready. So what is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate, and what did it teach you? Well, the biggest mistake I made was just, you know, thinking too small and going after, you know, uh, going after single family. I think, uh, you know, I think that we just don't think big enough that, hey, you know, real estate is huge and we have opportunity to be able to go big. What is your favorite book? And if you have one that you want to tailor for your personal life and business life? So for my personal life, there's a book by Brené Brown that's called The Gifts of Imperfection. And it just talks about uh, vulnerability, empathy, and just kind of living wholeheartedly. That's a great book. It's called Gifts of Imperfection. Uh, from a business standpoint, I've got a lot of books. Uh, one I'm reading right now is called The Slight Edge by a guy named Jeff Olson. And it just talks about like the subtle choices you make every day uh, and how they can impact you, just like the power of changing habits, like even little habits. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Yeah, the best advice that I have received and I would give is just to, to find somebody of value and add as much value as you can and ask questions of, hey, how can I help? You know, what, what's, your, what's your biggest challenge in your business or in, in your life? And just trying to help solve that problem. Um, so my fourth question, what is a daily habit that you would accredit some of your success to? Um, I'd say there's quite a few, but I, I think... Well, actually, for me, in the mornings, I do kind of a, I have a, I do some prayer stuff and I do some, some meditation. I have the, uh, some affirmations that I do where I basically go through and say, you know, this is the person 
that I am. This is the person I'm choosing to be. Because a lot of times, you know, at least in my life, I've been conditioned that oh, I thought I, I just I'm so self-limiting. But when I actually start speaking these things, and it sounds a little hokey saying things in a mirror or saying, hey, this is who I am, whatever. But over time, I've watched over the years that my income is you know, gone up substantially. My net worth's gone up 10 times. I mean, just things have changed so profoundly for me just because of how I see myself differently, I think because of those affirmations. Uh, my last question, what is the best way for people in the audience to reach out to you? Yeah, so you can go to uh, my website, bronsonequity.com. I put together this report here. This is the single best investing strategy during and after a pandemic. So that's a free download there. You can check it out. It's like a 20-page ebook. Um, you can feel free to also shoot me an email as uh, bronson at bronsonequity.com. And uh, again, we have our investor club. I always look forward to connecting with uh, investors and and we have events that we do. So I love, uh, you know, I imagine your audience you know, young crowd, kind of the next generation. So I love being able to help out any way I can and, uh, you know, being a resource. So I'd love to love to get in touch with any listeners. Much for your time, Bronson. We appreciate it. Hey, it's it's a pleasure. Thanks so much. The Donna's Trio. I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Monopoly podcast with the Donna's Brothers. If you want to learn more about what we do, make sure to visit our website, www.donnasinvestmentgroup.com. And if you aren't already, Make sure to follow us on all platforms at Donis Brothers. Let's be great today. Have a good one.